data sovereignty, penetration of connectivity, and what this means for the Africa data center market. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse and everything business in Africa. I am Withadong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Withadong. The Africa data center market size is expected to cross $3 billion by 2025. The sector has witnessed a steady growth in interest from major global cloud service providers such as Amazon Web Services, Microsoft and Huawei over the last five years. African Data Services Association in its latest data charts a need for an additional 700 new data centers over the next few years to meet the demand of the growing data on the continent. In this episode, we explore the key factors in the growth of data centers on the continent. James Biaruhanga from Raxio, Uganda, joins us for this episode. How big an impact has the revolution of Internet of Things had on the growth of the data center market in Africa? Mobile network penetration drives around with, date, with, with continuous data footprint growth, right? Everyone's phone is on an app, right? Um, everyone's TV is becoming smart. Um, everyone's radio is getting smart. Everyone's watch is getting smart. The evolution of the Internet of Things is becoming apparent. It is becoming the reality uh, of life right now because we're knee deep in the middle of an Internet revolution, right? Which most people are calling the fourth industrial revolution. Now, as more of this data footprint grows, um, What's happening is that there's a lot of data being generated by every kind of device and every kind of application, uh, which is what we're calling big data. Now, when all this big data starts gathering um, on a daily basis, it needs to be stored somewhere else and it needs to be utilized for important decisions. Big data analytics has become a a big conversation. But where do you store this big data? Um, Your phone is always getting full from pictures, from videos, uh, from WhatsApp groups, people sharing stuff, from downloading documents uh, that are coming into your email. So you find that you're pushing it onto your Google Drive, you're pushing it onto your Microsoft Drive, you're pushing it onto some kind of cloud application. Where are you going to host these clouds? You can't have multiple of them all over the place. These clouds need to be hosted somewhere. Now, when you host these clouds, um, of course, initially, just like any other business, the cloud players try and host this as close as possible to where their home infrastructure or core infrastructure is. So I can put this in Cape Town, I can put this in London, Amsterdam, Hong Kong, anywhere where there's big internet connection or cross connections. But I'm getting farther from the customer, which basically means that there's a slow access to the application, but it's also expensive for him. Now, a data customer only uses their data when they can access it. The cheaper the data gets, and the faster it gets, the more they use it. Because it's kind of like a drug, yeah? So basically, what happens is that the more the data grows, they need to get closer to the customer or to the eyeballs um, grows, right? Remember, all these big players sell advertisement. So they need eyeballs. So they need to be able to get as close as possible to the customer. Now, that improves the experience. At the same time, it helps the customer's cost drop. Now, to get closer to the customer with all these cloud platforms to carry the big data that's coming from the Internet of Things, what do you need? A data center. So the only thing that basically has to grow is the size of the data centers that you need to 
basically roll out because the data is only going to grow. And we are beyond the age where you can delete data. Let's talk about the penetration of connectivity and what that means for the data center market. The penetration of connectivity has really gone through the roof. Um, if you look at the connectivity maps in Europe and Asia, what made South Asia really blow up was connectivity. The moment they managed to like get the biggest penetration of connectivity down there, it meant that they could now really participate in the global market. Uh, from an innovation perspective, from a production perspective, uh, and from, from basically being able to make things like devices cheaply, faster, and being on the same, you know, on the same wavelength. Of course, that also comes with things like applications that develop. Now, Africa has been the dark continent for the longest time, um, <laughs> for many different reasons. Like one of those puns is the dark continent, where the black people, it's also not connected, it's, you know, it doesn't have enough power, and all sorts of things. But we've got the youngest population. Right? So the youthful population in Africa um, is actually the biggest target market, uh, you'd say, for the internet revolution, because the young catch up quick on new things. Secondly, we've become the most aggressive innovators because now we actually have uh, an initiative led by Africa, which is mobile money, that actually competes directly with digital payments and beats them across the world. It's now being adopted. Um, and people, things like cryptocurrency are basically the only competition that mobile money has. Now, the adoption of mobile money means that payments become suddenly cashless. What does that mean for the internet revolution? You have the internet as a marketplace, you've got social media platforms as marketplaces, and now you've got a cashless payment platform. All you need is to deliver product. And that's hence the revolution of things like safe border. Safe border, which is basically the Uber on bikes, and the bike being the fastest delivery mechanism in Africa, means that we've got our own 360 chain. So how do you get the fintech industry that's running these mobile payment platforms, the internet marketplace, right? The safe borders of this world, uh, who are now uh, being copied by the Ubers, big platforms like Uber, actually also launching things like Uber Border uh, to be able to work. The SMEs that are blossoming here because of the youthful population, we have in Africa, the huge amount of connectivity that's penetrating the entire market to all connect in one trading area has to be the data center. So it's kind of like the inevitable. Data sovereignty in Africa, how important will this be in the data center market? Every single country is rolling out data protection and privacy policies um, because of the need to keep data in country. Um, it's generally important uh, from a compliance perspective and also just economy. So when you think about the need for data sovereignty, uh, the famous Singapore model um, is commercial banks, insurance companies, telcos, sports betting companies, name it. Um, everyone is basically required by law to keep data in country. Um, where are you going to keep this data? Because it's too much for you to keep um, in your own private setting. And you can't keep it on mobile uh, drives anymore because you need to access it any one time. And also the regulators need to access it. So the need for compliance with, um, with data protection and privacy policy and, and data sovereignty, um, which in Europe was driven by the GDPR initiative, basically means that there's a need for local facilities to actually post data, right? So again, where do you end up? Data center. That was James Bjorhanga from Raxio, Uganda. 
And a look at the other stories making it into the podcast. The Bank of Ghana has kept its benchmark monetary policy rate at 14.5% during its January meeting, in line with market expectations, citing inflation risks. Policymakers add that inflation will likely remain above the targeted band of 8%, plus or minus 2% in the near term. In December, the headline inflation rate jumped up to the highest level in almost five years to 12.6%. Cote d'Ivoire's industrial activity looks to carry momentum into 2022. The latest figures for Cote d'Ivoire's harmonized index for industrial production indicate that the country's industrial sector performed strongly Towards the end of last year, the index, which is compiled by the National Institute of Statistics, rose by 15.6% year-on-year in November 2021, compared with 7.9% year-on-year the month before. On a month-on-month basis, the index rose by 5.5% in October, before increasing by 9% a month later. Côte d'Ivoire's industrial sector was heavily impacted by the COVID-19 outbreak, as the HIIP declined by 1.1% on average, in 2020. The index fell again in January and February of 2021 as the second wave of COVID-19 infections hampered activity. Since then, though, the index recorded notable growth, except for in September last year, when mining activity slumped severely. Over the January to November 2021 period, the index expanded by 7.4% year-on-year on average. In Ethiopia, suspension of License B pretends deepening FDI risk. Now, the latest delay to the telecoms sector reform agenda portends a deepening risk of rapid foreign direct investment erosion, a multi-year slowdown in GDP growth, and a balance of payments events. Beset by multiple delays, the decision earlier this month to suspend the bidding for license B presented yet another roadblock for the liberalization-led acceleration in GDP growth. Citing requests from several prospective bidders, the Ethiopian Communications Authority suspended the license B tender ahead of its planned relaunch, although authorities indicated that they will seek to pursue the spectrum allocation again in the near future. So the revised outlook on foreign investment is for the net FDI ratio to GDP to fall back to 3.3% over 2022-2023 from a revised estimate of 4.5% for 2021. The overall balance of payments position firmed in quarter four, that's 2021-2022, solely on the back of a surge in net FDI at $1.9 billion. Net FDI rose by 284.5% year-on-year and 163% quarter-on-quarter. This reflected inflows related to the telecom sector liberalization agenda. At the time, inflows worth $850 million were directed at the telecom sector. The surge in FDI inflows over this period, coupled with an improvement in global FDI trends, elicited a sharp revision to the forecast for the full year. Nevertheless, FDI prospects have deteriorated partly due to the latest delay related to issuance of the second spectrum allocation license. In Mauritius, foreign reserves ended 2021 on a high note. Now, the gross foreign reserves hit a high of $8.6 billion at the end of December, reflecting a significant increase on a monthly, that is 10.3%, and an annual 17.4% basis. The annual advancement was the highest it has been since August 2018. The upturn was mainly driven by gross foreign assets 
held by the central bank, which saw a monthly increase in gold, 1.3%, special drawing rights, 0.2%, and foreign currency reserves at 11.8%. The rise in foreign currency reserves can be attributed to a surge in the total currency and deposits held by other national central banks, the Bank for International Settlements and the International Monetary Fund, which rose by 45% month-on-month to $2.6 billion. Based on the value of goods and services imported during the 2020 calendar year, international reserves covered 21.8 months of imports at the end of December, higher than 19.7 months observed at the end of November. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at Tufador.